Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at MVF, and we want to welcome you this morning. Um, You are joining us on the second week of a marriage sermon series. Um, It has a weird title, Not Dead Yet, and that really has to do with that vow that we say, you know, till death do us part. But it really has more to do with the fact that um, we were dead, and now we're alive in Christ. And although it is a marriage series, I'd encourage you, if you're not married, stick with me. Um, the vast majority of the content that I'm talking about today is actually about for all of us. It's about our spiritual growth, and it's how our spiritual lives impact the rest of our relationships. Now, last week I gave you a homework assignment to go home and to read the book of Ephesians. It takes about 17 minutes to read or so. How many of you guys read Ephesians this week? All right, there's a few hands. That's a good start. Well, guess what? This next week, you get to do it again. Um, So if you didn't read it last time, go ahead and read it. If you read it, read it again. We're just going to kind of stay in Ephesians and keep walking through in the series. Um, Last week, we talked about the fact that we were kind of in an undead, half-alive, zombie kind of state because of our sin, and that we became alive the moment that we believed in Christ. And we don't have to wait till we're dead to have an awesome, abundant, life-giving relationship with God and with others. And the concept is all around this thing that we call the gospel-centered life, um, or even a gospel-centered marriage. I don't know how you can take uh, two people that, let's face it, are, we're all broken, we're all sinful, we're all selfish, put us together in a relationship, let alone a marriage, and expect everything to be harmonious and peaceful all the time, especially if we don't have Christ in the middle of it. Or if at least one of us doesn't bring Christ into the relationship. This morning, we are going to be focused on how to bring the gospel into our relationships through prayer. Now, what's the gospel? I'm going to say that over and over again, so we might as well have a definition. The gospel is the good news that we can have a relationship with Jesus now and forever. As he redeems, he forgives, he heals, and he transforms us. Now, before I get started, uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray. I know we just prayed, but we're going to pray again. So go ahead and bow your heads. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for today. Thank you for giving us another day, letting us gather together. Uh, I thank you that we get to worship you. And uh, Jesus, just be with us this morning. Um, For people who aren't here, we just pray that if they're not feeling well, that they get feeling better. Uh, Keep all of us safe and uh, just give us a great morning this morning and a great week as well. In your name, Jesus, amen. Now, I'm going to give you permission to do something that most people don't. I want you to judge my prayer. The prayer I just said. Was it a good prayer? Eh. Right? It was okay. It was maybe a little anemic, a little generic, right? The reality is sometimes we fall into prayers like that, right? There's nothing wrong with what I said, but... It was missing something. How about Jesus, right? How about some power? How about, I don't know, the gospel being in the middle of it, right? There wasn't a lot there. 
And sometimes when we pray, we really show our priorities. Um, And I'm not talking about whether we pray with lots of skill and lots of special words or we quote scripture or anything like that, or we talk a long time. No, it has more to do with just our heart posture, our outlook. Are we expecting God to actually hear us and to answer what we're saying, to be part of it? Uh, The prayer I said a few moments ago, I'd call that a be with me prayer, right? It's one of those that we, we often do. God, be with us, right? Just be with us. Just hang out, right? We're not asking him anything. We're not coming to him as God. We're just saying, be involved. Join our little circle, right? But we're missing a ton when we do that. And anyways, um, it's kind of redundant because Jesus told us at the end of the book of Matthew that he was going to be with us even till the end of the age. So he's already there. He promised that. He's doing it. So why are we asking him just to hang out with us, right? Here's the problem. I don't think we're actually dependent upon God enough to really answer our prayers and meet our needs. A lot of us are in a I can fix it mode, right? I got this. I can handle it. Um, I don't, you know, God, I want you involved, but I don't really need you, okay? And it is so different than having this gospel-centered life. Uh, Think of gospel-centered as being like a hub on a bicycle, right? All of the spokes come off of it. And if the hub has something wrong, if it's not centered, the spokes are not going to actually line up and you're going to be fighting the bike the whole time. Um, When I was in seventh grade, I was in a bad bicycle accident. I was biking to school, narrowly missed being hit by a car, hit a curb. Back in those days, we didn't wear helmets, so I supermaned over the top of the uh, handlebars, landed on my head, ended up in the hospital for a couple days with a brain trauma. Um, Wasn't good. When I got out of the hospital, my bicycle tire looked like a taco. It was wiped out. Took it to a bicycle shop. They worked on it for a while, but they couldn't ever get that wheel to be right because the hub was messed up. And that's how we live our lives. If we put ourselves as the center, if we're the hub, let's face it, we're all warped, right? We have our issues. It's never going to run true. But if we make the gospel, if we make our relationship with Christ the center of who we are, then we can expect to go in the right direction. And all of the spokes, all of the things we do will be off of that. And that's what we're trying to do. Now, what does gospel-centered prayer look like? This morning, we're going to spend some time in Ephesians chapter 3, primarily in verses 14 to 21. Um, What I have on the sheets of paper in the rows with you is a copy of that third chapter. Um, There's some different highlights, some colors, some lines, some things like that on it. If you don't know what that's about, listen to last week's sermon. It kind of went through what those are all about. And then also on the back side of that sheet, I also included a prayer that's in chapter 1, which we talked about last week. And so this week, we're going to touch on chapters 1, 2, and 3 as we go through. And I want you to mark up your Bible. Uh, If you have your Bible, use it instead of the sheet. If you don't have your Bible with you, just use the sheet. You can draw on it, whatever you need to. Now, as we enter into talking about prayer, I just want to make it clear. Prayer is really just about talking to God. It's not the right words in the right order, almost like we're doing a spell or we're trying to convince God to actually listen to us. Um, It's about talking to him in relationship. Um, It's like talking to a friend, although he is God, 
It's about the relationship side. And yes, prayer has lots of elements in it, like you know, praising God, being thankful, confident in the requests that we make. Although even our requests, we need to make sure that they're in line with God, um, that we're not approaching him as a cosmic vending machine. And we can just push the button and out comes health and wealth and all of those things, right? Happiness. Um, instead, prayer is a lot about aligning us with God. Think of it this way. If you were fishing in a boat and you cast a line and the line caught on the shore and you started to reel in, are you reeling the shore to you or are you pulling yourself towards the shore? And prayer should be that way as well. We are not pulling God into us. We are moving towards God when we pray. And the more we pray, the more aligned we become with him. And it makes life so much easier. All right, let's go ahead and dive into chapter 3, verse 14. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. Now, I'm actually going to stop there for a moment, okay? When I think of all of this, what is Paul, who wrote this, what is he thinking? Well, okay, here comes review mode for a moment because I think it has to do with things he's already talked about. At the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10, he said, God will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. And as we talked about last week, that is the whole purpose, that's the main point that Paul is writing when he did the book of Ephesians. And he even expounded upon it in verse 21. Jesus is far and above any authority or power or leader or anything else. Everything is under Christ. So maybe that's what Paul is thinking about here. Or maybe he's thinking about the things that God has already taken action towards us about. We talked about some of that last week. Like in verse 4, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. Now I didn't have a lot of time last week to talk about adoption, but just for a moment here. In the ancient Roman world, um, when somebody had a kid a son, you could actually easily just, you know, disengage from them, push them out. But if you adopted somebody, it was permanent. And adoption was mostly done by kind of the, the high elite of the Roman society. So those are the senators in them. And they often would adopt somebody from a lower class to join them, to become their heir. Now, when they did that, sometimes those people were also kind of the up-and-comers, the bright people that were coming somebody who down the road could actually become a rival. And so by adopting them, you kind of pulled them into your direction, okay? Now you can imagine the people who read these words for the first time in those days, that God adopted us. It was mind-blowing, right? The God of everything adopted me, a lower class, into his family. It was life-changing. It was a totally different way of looking at it. Now, also in the Roman ancient culture, inheritance wasn't something like we do that you get when you're dead. You started to get your inheritance as soon as you were kind of becoming of age. And thinking about it this way, Paul writes, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he has promised. What is our inheritance in God? Is it the riches of heaven? You know, like the streets of gold? No, it's God himself. That'll be the best part about being in heaven is we get to be with God directly. 
And the amazing thing is God has set it up that we are starting to get that inheritance now. As we talked about it last week, you got the Holy Spirit the moment you believed in him. And so you have that inheritance even today. So perhaps that's what Paul was thinking about. Or maybe he was thinking about something else, about our salvation. But God is so rich in mercy and loved us so much, he gave us life. God saved you by his grace when you believed. The lavish, abundant gift of grace that that God gives us. Maybe that's what Paul was thinking about. Or maybe there was something else too. Um, There's a part at the end of chapter 2 we haven't talked about yet in the beginning of chapter 3. I'm not going to go into detail on those, but I'm going to give you the high level. Okay, So for the end of chapter 2, the summary of it is this verse, verse 14. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. This is kind of a reiteration of bringing everything under Christ, everything together. And then at the beginning of chapter 3, in verse 6, it's another one of those summations again. It says, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. This was a huge deal. For nearly 500 years, the Jews and the Gentiles were at war. They invaded each other. There were occupations. There were revolts. There were persecution. These are two very, very different groups of people that God has pulled together in the church in Christ. It's kind of like, I don't know, let's say Bronco and Raider fans being able to get along, right? Or if you're on the East Coast, it's kind of Yankees and Red Sox fans, okay? Maybe it's something bigger. Maybe it's uh, Republicans and Democrats united on something, right? Or maybe it's something even bigger than that. Something in lines like, I don't know, India and Pakistan, North and South Korea, China and Taiwan, Israel and Hamas, and then this week, Eastern and Western Ukraine being united. That's how big we're talking. It's huge. And it's happening here. Jews and Gentiles united together in Christ. Completely unbelievable in that day and age that that could happen. And particularly for Paul, given his Jewish background. So in context, I think all of those things are what Paul is referring to when he says, when I think of all of this. I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father. Now, one other quick thing here. In prayer, our heart posture matters a lot more than our physical posture. So falling to our knees is a great thing, but know that we can pray without necessarily doing that. It's that heart posture, our attitudes, our beliefs, our behaviors. That's what we're falling down and praying about. Now, Paul, in context again here, at that point, Jewish men were known for praying standing up. And if you go to Israel um, and go to the Wailing Wall, you'll see men standing to pray right now. The Gentiles prayed and worshipped in a completely different way. For them, it was flailing their bodies around and dancing and things like that. And so Paul was maybe trying to find a cultural alternative at this point. 
something that would reflect the attitude we should have when we pray. And he said, when we fall to our knees, it's a position of humility, of dependence, of worship. And so while it's great for us to send pray however we are, whether it's kneeling or when we're driving down the road, whatever it may be, it's our heart posture, coming to God earnestly that matters the most. So again, thinking of all of this, thinking of these two very different groups, if God can take the Jews and the Gentiles and put them together, he surely can take a family or a marriage and if they're united in Christ, put them together. We need to bring prayer into our relationships. It's one of the best ways we can do this, to bring the gospel into the center of our relationships. Let me ask you this. How often do you pray out loud with someone else? Out loud. Um, and I'm not talking about, you know, grace at dinner time or something like that. I'm talking about actually praying. Your friends, your coworkers. How about a neighbor? How about extended family or even your spouse? Let me, let me show you something that just illustrates the importance of prayer and what it can do. So right now in the U.S., the divorce rate's about 43%. It's down a little bit. That's good. It's mostly dominated by people in their second and third and fourth marriages. Sometimes those just don't last very well. So it makes the stats a little higher. If you're a Christian, if you say you're a Christian, what's your divorce rate? 43%. Okay? Not much change. If you say you're a Christian and you go to church regularly, meaning a couple times a month, good news is it goes down a little bit, about 28%. So it's an improvement, but it's still way too high. There was a survey done not too long ago, and it said if you're a Christian, you go to church regularly, like almost weekly, and more importantly, you pray with your spouse four or five times out loud a week, your divorce rate is less than a tenth of a percent. It's almost non-existent. One of the best things that we can do in our marriage is to pray, to bring God into the center of it and so we get closer to him as we get closer to each other, whether it's in conflict or great times as well. But I think prayer has that impact not only on marriages but the rest of our relationships as well. We need to bring Jesus into them. It is far better for us to be praying for others than ourselves. And there is no one who does not need your prayers. Most people, when you ask them if they're going through something, can I pray for you, they'll, they'll say yes. So this morning, I want us to walk through these two prayers that Paul has, the end of chapter uh, 1 and the end of chapter 3. And perhaps we can learn some things that we can bring into our prayers so that we're not having those anemic, um, be with us kind of prayers like I did earlier, but to actually bring some power in. The first element I want to talk about is that we need to pray for focus. Focus. And that has to do with bringing spiritual things into our prayers before we bring the practical things. Yes, everything can be brought before God. That's true. But let's start with what's important first and make the spiritual matters our priority. Perhaps the issue isn't that we lack focus or we're distracted. Maybe the issue is a lot more in our prayers that we're just depressed. We're overwhelmed. We've got so much going on in our lives and so much change and upheaval. So what do we need most? 
Most of all, we need the glorious riches of God. We need his love, his holiness, his hope, his peace. And these are ministered in our lives when we pray and the Holy Spirit brings them in. That's the kind of prayer we need to try to do, is focused on those spiritual things. So what I want you to do, just above verse 14 in your Bible or on the sheet of paper, I want you just to write in the word focus. Okay, focus. We'll start there. Now, uh, to help us focus and to get into this this prayer a little better, what I'm going to do is we're going to go back to chapter 1, and I'm just going to read that prayer real quick. Um, It starts in verse 15. There's a lot of things there that you're going to see are a parallel to what he says in in the chapter 3 prayer. So here we go. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far and above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church, which is us. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. All right, with that focus, I think we can dive into the prayer in chapter 3. So again, verse 14. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. When we read that chapter out of, uh, of that prayer out of chapter 1, in verse 18, there's a comment there about confident hope. Confident hope. We often use the word hope today um, actually in a different context. We tend to, to use it to mean that we're really not sure. I hope we'll have good weather. I hope I don't trip. I hope I don't say something stupid up here to you guys. That's how we tend to use hope. But the real meaning of it is confident hope. Confident hope allows us to go before the Father to his throne and know that he cares and he loves for us and he's going to hear us. The definition of hope is absolutely assured about something we have not yet fully experienced. Christian hope is that confident assurance, being certain because we have the good news of Christ, that we can have a relationship now and forever with him. The best day of our life is the day that we become alive because we believe in Christ. And down the road, death, when we leave this life, is actually the beginning of something even better. Because at that point, we'll be with God and everything, our lives, everything will be under the authority of Christ. So we need to start our prayers with hope, assurance of what we're certain of, 
And so next to verse 14 and 15, just write the word hope. Verse 16. I pray from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Back in chapter 1, verse 19, there was this incredible greatness of God's power. We all know how, that we've experienced fears. Fears of the future, regrets about the past, worries about our health, concerns for our loved ones. Those are all good things, and we should pray about them. But when we do, let's do it in power. Let's pray to God, not in the image of our head of the Galilean you know, fe- uh, peasant, but instead, pray with the image of the ascended king of kings that he is in power and he can answer these prayers, that he is seated in a position of authority above all rulers, all power, all dominion, and above every name that has ever been named. Now, in this verse, it also talks about that we'll get inner strength through the Spirit. What do we need that strength for? Well, kind of, again, looking back to last week, verse 10, when we are made to be God's masterpiece, to accomplish the good works that he's given us. That's the strength we need to do those good works. And what are they? Really simply, to love God and to love others well. So right next to verse 16, write the word power. Verse 17. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Again, what's the greatest riches in all of existence? It's God himself. And what's the glory of God? The glory of God is the summation of who he is, of his being. God's glory is his might, his self-existence, his majesty, his justice, his truth, his righteousness, his holiness, his purity, and we could go on. And it's all found in the perfected manifestation that we see in the character of the human Jesus that he came. That's the glory of God. So we shouldn't settle just for the daily grind. You know, our prayer shouldn't just be about what's happening today. But ask for those real riches for God himself to be part of it. I mean, the Holy Spirit is here with you now. Jesus is making a home in your heart. God the creator is on his throne and he hears you and you can approach him. Those are our prayers. So right next to verse 17, write the word either riches or inheritance. Keep in mind what we really can cling to. Verse 18. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand then you'll be made complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God. Last week we talked about the fact that the word love is used the most through the whole book of Ephesians. And in the original Greek, there are a variety of different words that are used for love. They all get translated to our version of love, but English is not very specific sometimes. I mean, I can say, I love pie. I love my wife. I love my friends. I love God. All four of those are actually different kind of words for love, aren't they? They have different meanings. The Greek word that's used here for love, 
its meaning is it's a unconditional, unearned, relational love that's made by choice. That's the love that God has for us. He has chosen to love us. And it's not an emotional feeling per se. It's a deliberate choice to take action. And we need to grow in our acceptance of that kind of love to be able to stand back and say, I am loved that way by the creator of everything. So we can pray for clear understanding of that in our lives, for understanding how much he loves us, for it to stir things within us so that we can love Christ and love others better. Now there is a bit of a paradox in this. It, Paul starts in 18 and he says he's praying for us to understand God's love. And then a little bit later he says God's love is ununderstandable, right? That doesn't quite make sense. Has to do with the fact that we understand God's love first with our head. And then the Holy Spirit's job is to move it from our head down to our heart. Our behaviors, our attitudes, the way we look at things. And we can experience God's love in our life as we go through things, but we will never exhaust being able to fully understand it. That's what he's talking about. It's a lifelong pursuit. It's an ever-deepening response. Think of it this way. It's an inward communion with God, and out of that being so filled up that it outflows as love to people around us. So obviously for these verses next to it, write the word, love and then we get to the end of the prayer verse 20 now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think glory to him in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever amen small prayers kind of betray maybe a suspicion that we have that we are following a small God. <laughs> he is not small. He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we can even imagine. So we need to ask him to do those things. We need to ask as Paul did, and not for health and wealth and happiness, but for much bigger things. To be filled with his fullness, to be able to grasp how he loves us so that it transforms and changes us. We need to get out of kind of a self-help mode, right? Where, hey, I got this, I don't need God. Instead, we need to come to him with our issues. And if we're truthful, most of our problems are really our own fault, our own selfishness, our own sin. And isn't it great there's a power outside of us who can work within us to solve those? And that's God. I'll also notice here that Paul brings in the word church. And the thought here is we need a dependence upon God. Dependence where we can trust and we rely on him. But there is this other little mystery too that we need others. We need fellowship. We need others to helping us disciple us and helping us see God and speaking to our lives. So here at the bottom of the prayer, write the word dependence next to it. Dependence on God and dependence on the body, all of us to help. So these are kind of our prayer elements. 
things that you can start adding in. You don't have to hit them all every time. That's not the point. But start broadening your prayer life a little bit. Having a focus that brings in spiritual priorities a little bit earlier. Confident hope. Being assured in the gospel. Assured in your relationship with Christ now and in the times to come. Being able to have power through the Holy Spirit. Asking him to empower your life. Holding on to the inheritance, those riches of God himself. That Father and Son and Spirit are all with you. A love that is by choice. God's choice to love us and then hopefully us to love him and others. And then dependence. Really trusting him. Really relying on him for the answers versus coming up with them ourselves. Now again, prayer is not about saying the right things, right order, talking a long time. Um, And you don't have to feel like you have to hit all these things. But just start to flavor your prayers with them. Start to add them in. When we talk to God, it should be about sharing our heart. You see, a 20-second prayer from our heart, with our heart posture really seeking God, is just as valuable as a 10-minute, well-thought-out, written-down prayer. It's about our heart posture. This morning, I'm going to give us space and time to pray together right where you are. I'm going to ask you to actually pray out loud. A little awkward, right? You're probably going, oh my, that's a little different. I think it's an awkwardness we need to get used to doing, being able to pray out loud with other people around. Now, let me give you a little direction. So kind of listen for it, your piece of this, and and how you can pray. If this morning you're here and you're divorced, I want you to pray for healing. You go through some amount of grief when you get divorced, and maybe you haven't proceeded all the way through that, so pray for that. Pray for your ex-spouse's spiritual needs. Pray for God's transformation in your own heart so that you can grow. If you're here this morning and you're single, you can pray by yourself or pray with somebody else, but I want you to pray for greater intimacy with Christ himself in your life. And maybe pray that God will pull some other people around you so you can fellowship and others can help you grow. If you're single and maybe you're thinking about a spouse or wanting a relationship, you can also pray, even though you maybe haven't met that spouse yet, pray that they meet Christ. That right now, Christ is in their heart and they're beginning to make Christ the center of their lives as well. If this morning you're widowed, pray that God will help you through your grief to heal. Maybe have a period of time this morning where you are thankful for the time that you had with your spouse. And maybe pray for an opportunity that you can disciple now some other people around you. If you're engaged, well, first of all, congratulations. Pray right now, even before you're actually married, that God becomes the center of your relationship and for you to grow and change so that that can happen. And if you're married, pray for Christ to be the center of your family, for heart transformation in you, towards your spouse. Pray for each other's spiritual needs and growth, and if there's some conflict that's not resolved, pray that God will help you through that. And if you're here as a family, pick any of the above. Pray together as well that Christ can be the center. Now, I really do want you to pray out loud. If you're with somebody, pray with them. If you're by yourself, go ahead and pray out loud. 
Um, don't worry. All of us talking at once, God can hear it. He's a big God. He can sort it all out. I'll give us about two minutes or so, and I really want you pray together, maybe trade off who's praying, and then I'll close us in prayer. Let's go ahead and start. Heavenly Father, I do want to thank you this morning. I want to thank you for the opportunity we have to, to worship you and to focus upon you. I pray this week that you help us lift our eyes beyond the daily grind and to so clearly see you at work around us, to see the spiritual things. I pray that you build our confident hope on that lavish gift of grace that we don't have to be dead to experience a relationship with you. And that we know those promises you made, they're just not promises that might be kept, but they are going to happen. Both the things now and the things to come. Holy Spirit, I pray for you to empower and embolden us in our relationships to, to bring Jesus into the center of them, whether it's with believers or even people who don't believe yet. Help us be able to enter in the awkwardness of praying out loud with others and then over time for it to become something we get used to, to that we can come to you in all of our relationships in prayer. In those times where somebody shares something and we just go, man, I, I'm going to pray for you, tweak us a little bit and remind us we can pray right now together. Jesus, remind us of your love. Remind us of that love that took you to the cross so that we could become alive through you and your resurrection. Thank you that we can be with you now, that we have those riches, that inheritance that we don't have to wait till eternity for. We have pieces of it now. 
not just when we die and leave this world, but today. Quicken our hearts, not with gushy emotional feelings, but with deeper expressions and understanding of your love for us. I pray that we remain dependent upon you. We know we really can't fix a lot of big things in our lives and we need to trust you and rely on you and know that you're working. Especially after a week like this past week, Lord, we need you. I pray, Lord, that you can step into what's happening in Ukraine to, to end what's there, to do something miraculous that the whole world will stand back and say, wow, we don't understand what happened. And that you will get the glory for it. You've done it before. We ask that you step in, you do it now. And boldly we approach your throne and know that you hear us. Jesus, it's your incredible name above all names. Amen.